Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so, it's so good to see you in God's house together today, worshiping the Lord. Couldn't you sense his presence among us, his spirit working in our hearts as we lifted our voice, voices to him in worship, heard his word and read it together, prayed together, and I just sense God is speaking today. Amen. And he's got a word for each and every one of us today. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Romans. And we're in chapter number eight. We've been in the book of Romans for some months. And so we're back and we're continuing in this great and wonderful uh, book inspired by the Holy Spirit, written for our instruction, preserved by God's providence and care and delivered a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Spirit. He was writing it to the church that was in Rome. He was at the time in Corinth. He planned to soon come to see them if God would will it. But he was laying before them the gospel that he preaches and his desire to partner with them in the mission and with missions and doing what God had called us to do. So today we're in the eighth chapter. The eighth chapter has to do with assurance of salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And the great theme of chapter number eight is not just how the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us and comforting us and strengthening us and how he prays for us, but it also gives us glorious assurance of this salvation that God began in our hearts. And today we're in uh, verse number 29. And so I encourage you to look with me in chapter number 8, beginning with verse 29. And the Bible says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also glorified. Or he, called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What a glorious passage of scripture. Moving right from chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And then the word for, because for those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8 is a glorious passage. It helps reinforce for us that God's work of salvation began with him and it ends with him. And that his salvation is not based on our works, but on his good grace that he has poured out on us. Last week, we looked at how God is working and works all things together for our good. He is good, and he works for our good, and he does this so that we might look more like his son, Jesus, that we might live like Jesus, look like Jesus, love like Jesus, that we might be changed. And God's in the process of doing that in your heart and in mine, and he will bring it to completion. This promise is for all who are called. And who are those that are called? 
Well, this passage here today deals with that very subject, that salvation is not based on us or our faith, but our salvation is based on his grace. And aren't you glad about that? Amen. Aren't you glad you don't have to be smart enough to get into heaven? Amen. You don't have to be holy enough to get into heaven. You don't have to be wise enough to get into heaven. You don't have to be rich enough to get into heaven. Because you know what? I thank God. God, Jesus Christ, came to save those who were lost. And that includes me. Amen. Broken and dumb and stupid and, 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 and prideful and gone the own way and made a big mess of my life. And while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died thank for us. You. It's glorious, this thought. But it's, our salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We don't earn it or deserve it. Amen. And it's not based on our works or our... Great faith or our great works. There's a story years ago. There was a Hindu holy man. And this uh, holy man from India had, had a great following. A lot of people believed in him. And, and uh, he told a bunch of his disciples that he had heard and believed that he was to walk on water. And so he announced the date that he was going to walk on water. That, that got a lot of attraction in the whole region. And hundreds upon hundreds came on the appointed day that he was going to walk on water. So just outside Bombay, India, this happened in 1966, there was a large pool there. And this renowned holy man stood at the edge of that pool. And he looked up into heaven he prepared himself mentally. He meditated for a moment. He stepped to the very edge of the pool, the people watching. What would happen? Would he walk on water? Hundreds of eyes were fixed on him, and he stepped onto the pool water and immediately sank to the bottom of the pool. He came up sputtering, aggravated, spitting, crawled out of the pool, looked at the crowd who were all embarrassed along with him, and angrily he said, one of you is not a believer in this crowd. <laughs> the problem is a lack of belief on somebody's part. Hmm. Aren't you glad our salvation isn't based on your ability to believe your way into heaven? It's based on his work for us. We are all unbelievers. We're all weak in faith. But Romans tells us that salvation is not on our part, but a salvation is on the purposes of God. It's not based on your works or your depth of love or devotion or the strength of your faith or your love for other people. But it's based on the love of God. From beginning to end. Now how has God loved us? Well that's the question isn't it? How has he loved us? And in this passage today. We're going, we will not finish all of these points today. But they're outlined in, in chapter uh, 8. 29 and 30. And he gives us five words. That are, represent five truths. And we're going to look at those today. And next week. The first word is the word foreknowledge. The second word is predestination. The third word is calling. The fourth word is justification. And the fifth word 
is glorification. And so let's look at these together. First of all, verse number 29, it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, what is the word foreknowledge? That means to know in advance, to know ahead or beforehand. It's, it's, it's for the word, it's a compound word, for and know. Actually, you kind of know this word because the word for for is pro, and the word for knowledge or to know is gnosis. And so we use a word prognosis, prognosis, prognosis. So it's, it's, a, it's an understanding of where things are going. It is an understanding. Many believe, when we think about the foreknowledge of God, there are many that believe that God sees beforehand and he knows what we will do and not do and who will believe and not believe. And then he makes us choice of us based on our faith that he knows ahead of time. And so they equate foreknowledge to foresight and that God then makes his elective purposes based on his foresight or knowledge. But the problem with that is simply this. Then my salvation rests on my faith, my works, and not on his act. And folks, I want my salvation to be based on the work of God Amen. in me. Not my obedience, not my doing, but on his grace only. And you see, he knew us before we were even born. Do y'all believe that? Amen. Would you look with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 1, verse 5. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is God's word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, before I even formed you in the womb, before that, I set you apart. I chose you and I set you apart. God chose, God sets apart, he anoints, and God appointed them, appointed them to a ministry a prophetic ministry. You see, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says something very similar. He said, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Listen, my friends, this ought to give you the greatest assurance in all the world. God knew you before you were even born. He knew you in somewhere in eternity past. God knew you. And he knows you by name. He has cared for you even before you were born. He loves you. He has caused you to be born he brought you into this world and he has set his affections on you even before you were born. Now that blows my mind. Amen. 
Now, it's hard for me to get my head around that because as a human being, I live in this time equation. I live in this world of time, but God's not like us. There was never a beginning and never an end. And God doesn't have the constraints of time. God just knows. And he knows you. The second thing I think this helps us understand also, you are not an accident. This is such a modern, worldly, fleshly idea that somehow or another you're, not, you're just an accident that you have life. Folks, you are not just a random chance of impregnation. You are a living soul that God knows and God created. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Secondly, he loves you. He's loved you before you were even created. You say, Brother Tim, is this in the Bible? Well, let's look and see. Would you look with me to Psalm 139? And if you look with me to verse number 15. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Didn't even have a body. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. How, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is there some? He's saying, your love is unbelievable, God. You've loved me before I was even created, before I was even in my mother's womb. You loved me, and God, you'd written about my days. Wow. Thirdly, his knowledge of you is personal and intimate. The word for to know in Hebrew is a word that doesn't mean just to see, it means to know intimately. To have knowledge of someone is an intimate relationship. And he foreknew us. He knew us intimately. And he cares about you. Amos chapter 3 verse 2, this very word is used in the, for the prophet says, I have known only you out of all of the people, clans of the earth. I've known you. The NIV says, it carries the idea here and puts a sharper edge on it. It says, you only have I chosen. For knowledge carries with it the idea that God has set us apart and loved us, loves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 3 says, if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If you look with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7, it talks about God's choice of the children of Israel. God has always been electing, always been choosing. He chose to create Adam and Eve. He chose Noah. He chose Abraham. He chose Moses. He chooses all the time. He chose the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter number 7, verse number 6, it says, For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
the Lord had his heart set on you. There it is. He loves you and chose you. Not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. God has loved you. It is amazing, and it is this foreknowledge, this is, it, 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 it's unbelievable. We, the idea that is found in this powerful word is captured in some of the other translations. For instance, the New English Bible says, God knew his own before, before ever they were. And also ordained that they would be shaped to the likeness of a son. The Williams translation says, for those who he set his heart on beforehand, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Another translator says, those who he marked out, he did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his son. God was at work from eternity past for you. And in you. That's an amazing thought. Number two, he pre predestined you. Now I know that's a lightning word that some people just don't even like to consider or talk about. But how do you ignore God's word when it's right here? So let's be faithful. Is this the inspired? Is this the word of God? Amen. And so isn't it true? And so we need to look at it. What does it mean? He predestinated. He, he chose. He, in verse number, uh, look at the text with us in verse 29. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, to foreknow means God knew us. He marked us out as his own. He intimately cared about us from the beginning. Before we were even born, God had this plan and working in us. But it doesn't, predestined speaks something more. And what it's saying is, and I, I want you to stay with me here because it's so important. It means, doesn't mean, well, whatever will be, will be. That's not what it means. What it means is that God not only knew us, but God developed a destiny for us. The Embedded in the word predestinate is the idea of destiny or destination. And what is the destination? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. God has decided he's doing a work in his people and his people, he's going to bring them to look like, live like, love like Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he's going to do this on, by grace. And so he has predestined, it speaks to our destination, that we might become the firstborn, of, that Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren, that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. Jesus, there's none quite like him. But then there are all these brothers, and that's us. Amen. And we are part of the family of God forever and ever. God's at work in you. Changing you, moving you, molding you, shaping you, working in you, causing all things to work together for good, for you. Hmm. The word predestined is a Greek word that it's pro-orizo. And 
It's the word, the Greek word, that we get the English word horizon from. Horizo. And so it, there's this idea that A.T. Robertson says the word means to appoint beforehand. It carries the idea that a horizon, for instance, when I look at the horizon, I can only see what's within this horizon, but over the horizon is something that I cannot see. So the horizon line is what I can see and then what I can't see, but it's there and it's a reality. And truth of the matter is that God has marked us off and God has brought near what is over the horizon for our salvation. God has taken those he loves and made them near and their destiny is certain. When I was a little kid, we didn't come to St. Louis very often. We lived in a small little town in the southern part of Illinois and we just rarely came to the big city, but occasionally... I came with my parents, and I, on a handful of times, we came to the ball game in St. Louis. And I remember a little kid sitting in the back seat of the car, and as we approached coming through Belleville toward East St. Louis, when you just topped the hill over the horizon, I couldn't wait to see it. The arch. It was amazing. Y'all are used to seeing it, but back in the ancient days, that was a big deal for me. And I go, Wow, look at that. And we couldn't wait. And Dad would say he knew where it was coming. He goes, keep your eyes open, be looking. So as soon as we popped the hill, there it was over the horizon. And we had all about it. Oh, the plans God has for you. Amen. Oh, the plans he has for you. And we are limited in what we see here. But God's been working since eternity to bless you incredibly in Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Amen. So God took the initiative in your salvation. You didn't take the initiative. He took it. In the book of Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. In verse uh, number four, will you look with me in your Bible? Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God took the initiative, not you. He pursued you. Secondly, he chose to save us. It is a wonderful thing that God chose to save us. It's an amazing thought. We couldn't save ourselves, but God saved us. In 1 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy Look with me to this passage of scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given to us in Christ Jesus when before time began. He chose us. And some of you, I hear you kind of objecting today. Well, do I get a choice? Yes, you get a choice. Yes, you get a choice. Yes, you get to decide to trust Christ. Yes, you need to turn from sin and trust Christ. Yes, you repent of sin by faith. Put your faith and trust in Christ. You'd get to choose. The problem is you wouldn't have chosen if he doesn't first initiate it in you. This is God's work and his grace. There's some objections to this great and glorious truth. I have to hurry. I'm going to walk through a few of them. Number one, it, some object and say, well, won't this cause spiritual pride or foster arrogance? No, just the opposite. If I know I had nothing to do with my salvation and God did it for me when I couldn't do it and God awakened me to Jesus and God awakened me about my sin and God awakened me that Christ died for me and God moved in my heart and drew me to the cross, I know I'm saved by grace and I have nothing to be proud about except the glory in Jesus. Secondly, will it foster some anxiety in me? Like, well, am I elect or not elect? I don't know. Well, that's not true either. Because the truth of the matter is, unbelievers and people who don't know the Lord, they're never concerned with salvation unless the Holy Spirit started to draw them and convict them. The truth is, it lowers, uh, removes our anxiety because now I'm what, not walking around going, am I good enough to get in heaven or not good enough to get in heaven? And what if I'm not all confessed up? And what if I, oh, is this sin forgiven or not forgiven? No, I've been forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Christ and I am certain in his hands. Amen. So I don't live in that anxiety. Thirdly, would it foster some apathy to live loosely and live irresponsibly? No, 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 no. You've misunderstood the grace of God. God's sovereignty never diminishes human responsibility. These two things are both taught in the word of God. You are responsible to a holy God for how you live. And you will give an account of how you live. But God in his sovereignty is working in our life. Both of these things are taught. Both of them are true. And while we can't reconcile them in our pygmy brains, it's no conundrum for God. Amen? It's all quiet in here. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, Now listen to what Jesus said. This is the words of Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The only, you have no ability to be saved without the work of God in your life first. Secondly, in Matthew 4, 5 verse 40, Jesus also said, But you're not willing to come to me so that you might have life. Both things are true, right? You're not able, 
or you're not willing. Do you refuse to come to Christ because you cannot come or because you will not come? Well, the answer is both. Even though we can't reconcile that, it's both. You're not off the hook. We are responsible to God. Fourthly, God fosters complacency. Um, that th this idea fosters complacency or lawlessness. Or if you're saved and you're saved and you're secure, then why not just go out and sin and live like the devil and you're going to make it to heaven? Well, nobody that's a Christian believes that. And anybody that has that attitude is certainly not a Christian. Amen. And there's no security if you live in like that. Jesus said, not everybody says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Romans chapter 6 is sort of an answer to this. Truth of the matter is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been united with Jesus Christ, and we are buried with him in the likeness of dead, death, and we are raised to walk in the newness of life. And that God himself has awakened us to our sin and brought us to Christ. And the Holy Spirit has done a converting work in our life. And the Spirit of God has come to dwell in our life. And we hate sin and we love Jesus. And God's doing a work in us. We still sin. But when we did, we sorrow for it and we repent of it. But God is working in us as believers. And he's fashioning us and making us to look like his son, Jesus Christ. And no, uh, no believer would ever be happy in disobeying God and living in sin. You've come to know Christ and Christ knows you and the Spirit of God dwells in you and he's raised you up to live a brand new life. This is God's work of salvation in us. Number five, that it might foster a neglect of missions and evangelism. Well, absolutely not. We don't know who's going to be saved or not going to be saved, but we're told to go and preach the gospel to every creature in this world. Abraham was called by God that he, God might bless all the families of the earth through him. God called Moses and God called David and God called Paul. God called the disciples and God called the prophets and God calling you to proclaim him in this broken world. Amen. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, Paul said, and Barnabas. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Acts 13, 47. In 1 Peter 2, 9, we're told, You are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's people are the most missionary people. We are going around the world trumpeting the good news of Jesus Christ, preaching the cross of Christ, preaching God's great love, and the Holy Spirit is using that powerfully. Amen. Here's what I found. There's an old song we used to sing. Have you heard the Macedonian call today? Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue and souls to save. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel light and let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light. The blessed gospel light.
Let it shine forevermore. We are people to go and spread the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. One time a preacher was preaching a sermon and he preached all about the work of God for us in Christ and how God secured our salvation, how Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again, how he paid for all of our sins in his atoning death, and how that we have no righteousness or no works in our part, but it's all the work of God for us. And, and he just was magnifying the work of God in our salvation in Jesus. And this one little guy after the service came up to the pastor and he said, well, that was a fine sermon, but, you're always waiting for the but, right? But, you didn't say anything much about our part in our salvation. What we need to be doing so that we're saved. And the pastor said, well, you're right. I didn't say much about that. I should have said, my part in salvation was I did all the running away and God did all the running after. He pursued me when I never pursued him. He has called us. He is not only, he has called us, he's calling you. Now, how does God call us? It says in this passage of scripture that we just looked at in verse 29, for it says, and those he predestined, verse 30, he also called. How does the call of God come to us? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, He called you through our gospel. The call of God comes through the gospel. When we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit does a work in calling us to Jesus. That's why it's so imperative that we preach the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Those who respond in repentance and faith are the called. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5 says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Now notice what he says we know, brothers and sisters. He says, loved by God, he chose you. How do we know he chose us? Because our gospel did not come to you in word only. How did it come? in power, in the Holy Spirit, and full assurance. When you preach the gospel, when you tell the good news of Jesus Christ in this broken world, and you see this happen, I've seen it time and time and time again, and you start sharing the gospel, all of a sudden, you see them stop. All of a sudden, you see them begin to pay attention. All of a sudden, they begin to ask some questions. And all of a sudden, they feel and sense God's working. And then the Holy Spirit leads them. Then the Holy Spirit awakens them. And then they call on the name of the Lord. They repent of their sin. And the Spirit of God causes them to be born again. 
and their life is never the same. And this is the call of God. Just this week, I had an encounter with a young woman at a fast food restaurant that was waiting on me. And I began to share the gospel. We had conversations about this and that and COVID and work and how much shortage of help at the store and about her life and about her family, about her children. And then I just said, do you know the Lord? She said, well, I used to, I think. And then I said, red flags, you know, flags going off everywhere in my mind. Let's talk. Let's talk about this. So I didn't want to be like a weirdo guy. So I just said, hey, I'm telling you, God loves you. Got a plan for your life. No matter what you've done in your life. She said, I've sinned so much. I don't know how God could ever forgive me. And we began to talk about it. And all of a sudden, she put down what she was doing. She came and she talked. I'm telling you, it was the Holy Spirit of God that led to an anointed conversation. And God was calling her to be saved. God's still doing that today. Amen. His call is always effective. Ephesians 2.5 says, He made us alive even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Your condition before Christ was you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no way to find God, no ability. It was his work for you. An illustration of this is Lazarus in the New Testament. In John chapter 11, you know the story. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were just dearest friends to the Lord. As a matter of fact, they lived not far from Jerusalem, just a Sabbath day journey, just a small little ways. And they often hosted and kept Jesus in their home and had many meals in their home. When Jesus was in the Jerusalem area, he stayed at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' bed and breakfast, all right? It was, it, he, did, he didn't have to Airbnb him. It was just, when I'm in town, he's staying there. And Lazarus got deathly sick, and the girl sent word to Jesus, who was away in ministry, saying, hey, our brother has fallen very, very ill. Please hurry and come. And when Jesus got the word, he was delayed two more days. And then when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had died. There was weeping and wailing and mourning from all the neighbors and friends and family. Lazarus has been in the grave in a tomb. Large stone rode in front of the tomb, wrapped in burial clothes, and the body is cold and dead and deteriorating. Lazarus is a picture of all of us. No ability to come back from the dead and no work of any human being can raise him from the dead. And just imagine that if the women and friends said to each other, let's call Lazarus. Let's speak to his dead body and let's ask him to come out from that tomb. Lazarus! Lazarus, brother, come out! Hey, Lazarus, come 
on out. I won't ever make fun of you again. Come out. Lazarus, we all miss you so much. Our hearts are broken. We miss you. Come out. And even they work up more and more emotion. But he never gets up. He never comes out. Lazarus, if you'd just come out, we'd all be so happy. But he doesn't come out. And they might wonder, well, doesn't he care that we're so sorrowful? Doesn't he care that our hearts are broken? Doesn't he want to be with us again? But you see, there's no ability. He's dead. But let Jesus take his place outside the tomb and see what happens. And Jesus said, show me the place where you've laid him. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And they said, Lord, he's already been dead four days. He stinks by now. Remove the stone. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the whole situation changed. Amen. The words were the same, but the call is powerful. And the call is effective. And the call is life-giving. And the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who created this world, can bring life out of death. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And that call was not just an invitation. It was a summons. Amen. And oh, Lazarus woke up, heard the voice, walked out with his grave clothes. They unbound him. And there was joy in the whole house because God had called him to life. That's our salvation. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And it was the voice of God in Christ who called you. And he has saved you for his glory. Amen. Let me tell you about old Lazarus. Lazarus didn't lay in the grave and say, ah, he just woke me up out of death. I don't know if I really want to follow him. No. Oh, Lazarus, with great joy, walked out in great astonishment. And everyone rejoiced that it was the work of God that raised their brother. That's how God has loved you. He's known you before you were even born. He has a destination that he's moving you toward that you might look like his son, Jesus. And he's the one that called you. And he's the one that saved you. And our salvation is found in him and in him alone. Amen. Hallelujah. What a savior. Father in heaven, thank you for the great truths of your word, how they're powerful and true and life-giving. As we contemplate your great love for us and your great work and your great plan that blows our mind. It, it's more than we can fully comprehend. But God, we know your word is true. And we know your work is still going on.
And so God, we submit ourselves to you and say, God, we want to follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Won't you sing together with me as we sing?